you know, last time I think I think we saw each other it was when we were at uh, DevOps Day Charlotte. And 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 tell me tell me how insulting is it when I show up in like Charlotte and I start talking about like Home Depot? Do people just get really upset when you do that? No, not at all. Really, we don't we don't. You know, we got the Lowe's thing going on, but um, actually, like five miles from my house. But it's not a problem. Healthy, healthy competition. They're across the road from each other everywhere, so it's like you know, no, no big deal. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, maybe, maybe I just got some bad uh, intelligence on the ground from some uh, orny person when when I was there last time. But I forget if I regaled you with this little anecdote. But I remember maybe it was at the last uh, DevOps day, Charlotte. I was at. I was, uh, some person from Lowe's came up and I was saying, you know, because Home Depot talks a lot about uh, what they're doing in the IT world. And I was telling them they should look that up. And the guy kind of like Riley looked up at me. He's like, yeah, we watch all that stuff. It's really nice that they put it out. So uh, they, they obviously have some healthy cross competition going on, but that's good to know. I'll, uh, I'll stop cutting that from my repertoire when I get out there. So why, why don't you uh, introduce yourself briefly? I'm John Mitchell. I lead uh, digital strategy and delivery uh, at Duke Energy. Um, my wife says accurately, I don't, I don't get to just dream it up. I actually have to go do it. So uh, <laughs> That's right. So that's, that's, kind of, that's the kind of way I, I, I live life. I, I'm, a, I'm a doer. Uh, I like to get things done. You're on the opposite end of the spectrum as I am. I am the uh, the thought leader who just talks and doesn't actually have to do anything except line up clip art on slides correctly. But uh, your stuff has to actually like exist. I wish I was better at the slide wear and 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 all that stuff because it, it's still a, a prerequisite to to getting to do stuff. It seems, but um, yeah, that's that's what I do. I'm better known more recently at Duke Energy, leading our idea lab. And and then and then starting off broadly, I mean, what uh, for people who aren't familiar, what what does Duke do? Well, we keep the lights on, right? So we <laughs> literally, have, uh, <laughs> yeah, we have we have uh, about eight million customers um, across six different states, and um, I think we run the largest. So, so we're we're like number one in some categories. You know, you can you can. There's probably two or three of us that are number one in this category, number two, number three. But we, I guess, a couple of things that are interesting. We we run the largest grid in the United States. So if you, I guess, if you count the the distribution lines and poles and the transmission lines, it's, it's a very large grid. Uh, we are one of the largest, maybe the largest pure regulated utility. So um, across the six states, it's all regulated. So we don't. Uh, that that's a very large large part of our business. Um, but yeah, we, we uh, run six, uh, six nuclear plants, which is, which is kind of interesting. Uh, uh, the original clean energy, <laughs> uh, clean, clean and green. Um, and, you know, we, in addition, to, one of the things that folks don't realize about Duke Energy is um, we actually sell products and services that are related to energy. So it's, so yeah, our core business is providing electricity, but um, there's a, a healthy chunk of revenue-producing type products and services, things that help our customers, things like you know the outdoor lighting in, in their driveway, or um, things like um, uh, home efficiency or home energy audits. Lots of different products and services there that surprises some folks that we we have a, a pretty large focus on product development ideation product development i'm bringing that up because it fits well with this whole digital transformation story because a lot of those products uh any product you want to build these days you know has a digital component to it and and how many i mean you're you're big in the southeast there but how many states do you cover again so most all of north carolina and south carolina six states uh a good chunk of florida around the particularly around the orlando area and then pieces of ohio kentucky and indiana we have like renewable um, uh, wind and solar in lots of places, even even in Texas and um, lots of places across the country. But that's, that's sort of our non-regulated generation type type assets that we operate. We're a pretty large renewable energy provider. Um, so what what do they what do they, what do they call that in your uh, in your business when you have like uh, 
mixed modes of generating power? Is there like lingo for that, that you're not just like mono generation? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we have uh, lots of fuels, yes. So I, I think, you know, we have code names. Or, well, the renewables, of course, is the, the wind and solar. And actually hydro, which is one of the oldest ones, right? The water coming over the dam is a, is a renewable energy source. Um, and then we have the fossil fuels, which of which gas is huge these days because of the, the low cost of gas. And we still have and then the nuclear. So it's really, really across those different ones. And it, it's an interesting... Uh, it's great to have that mix and, you know, you're able to, each one of those has their own little nuances, like a, like a nuclear plant has really reliable power, but if you have to shut it down for any reason, like for maintenance, it, it can't come back up really quick. So it can't like help you on a very hot day, like to meet mm-hmm. demand where you can turn a, a, a hydro station on a lake. You can turn that on almost instantly via remote control. And then, of course, renewable, you know, if the wind's blowing, you've got a great source of energy or the sun's shining, your solar's great, and not so much at, at night on a, on a calm evening. So you have all these different fuel choices, different generation choices to choose from, and uh, that's, that's really what keeps the grid stable and keeps, keeps, the, the, uh, keeps the lights pretty reliable. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I guess to purposely distract from our uh, nominal topic, like, I, I don't... I, I clearly don't know enough uh, as much of energy as as you do or anyone else over there. But like, I remember the ma- the last major like, uh, what's the opposite of like conf- confounding in a pleasant way? The the last delightful sort of epiphany thing I had about the uh, electricity was that, and I know this is slightly wrong, but like basically, you put energy into the grid and then it more or less has to be used right away. Like, and you can have batteries and. I guess you can do things like pump a bunch of water up a hill and then you can regenerate the energy. And there's all sorts of calculations about how efficient that is and cost savings. But it is that presents another layer of really wicked problems to solve that are like we have to constantly be putting energy into the grid and then therefore predicting how much energy to put into the grid. And it like disappears (laughs) like it's a weird like. I don't even know what kind of system of thinking that is, but it's it's almost like it's almost like some kid's game, almost like a hungry hippos kind of thing where like you're a farmer and once your food is harvested, people eat it right away. So there's no shelf time. So you've got to figure out how to do that. <laughs> but that that causes all sorts of weird situations, I would imagine. It, it does. And I've actually made an analogy. Um, I, I didn't make this up. Someone, someone said, hey, you know, we're in a world of platforms, right? Well, well, the energy grid was maybe, arguably, the very first platform, right? Because you had, you had these independent, you had the generating plants in the, in, on one end, and you have this distribution system on another, and then the customer over here, and um, suppliers and consumers. It's very interesting. But And so if you make that analogy forward, it's kind of like a big data platform, right, where data Real time, you don't use it, you know, you lose it. So we need that storage piece. Battery storage then becomes a game changer in the, uh, for energy going. You know, and, and I, think, I think just one more thing to lay the, uh, the foundation for the problem space uh, that, that you're doing all this, this uh, fun software stuff in is also it's, it's easy to ignore, I think, the, uh, you know, most people's experience with the electric company as it were, is, uh, as you're saying, their light bulb and their monthly bill. And then that's about it. <laughs> but, uh, like, there's also what y'all have to manage are all of the, the like, well, I mean, all the physical apps, assets that you have, or I don't know, however it is you get control of using actual lines and electricity and all the stuff that moves around. And then that drives the need to have a bunch of, I don't what do you call them? Linemen, like linemen and field trucks. So, it's a tremendously relative to, I mean, I, I grew up in the software industry where there are, you know, your capital asset is like a $10 chair from Home Depot. <laughs> so I guess there's a computer that's expensive, but, uh, relatively it's an extremely like, uh, like capital intensive industry and also sort of people, you have a lot of people who are out there maintaining things and doing stuff. And so it's, um, there's a, there's a large, 
uh, for lack of a non-military metaphor, attack surface to throw a bunch of software at to improve things. Well, that's, that's very true. But and, and one of the challenges that presented since we're percent is since we're at, at that intensive, we you know part of the way you kind of think about how how you make money is you you know you've got an investment in assets and you reinvest to you know improve them, make them better, and you get you get some we get some return on that. And then we try to apply that though to software, and it used to work okay back when you know we did software projects. And then now in this, this new agile world, where we want to continuously uh, treat software with you know ongoing love and attention, it, it presents a That's problem. Right. But yeah, and 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 to that end, so so let's let's you know ultimately the end goal, the end the end point will be like the uh, the idea lab you've been mentioning, and like how. I guess over the past couple of years, it's probably more when someone first thought of it, but like over, over recent years, uh, y'all have basically introduced a lot of agile in the way you do your software or, or as, or as I wouldn't call them the kids as the old thought Lords would say, you've done some digital transformation, but, uh, you know, I, I was talking with you about a, a piece I was writing for the register, um, like a the piece before the one I'm supposed to do. I don't know. Sometime recently. And, uh, you had a, you had a funny comment in there that over your career, you actually, I forget, you know, you've worked managing some of the teams and some of the, the software at the nuclear plants you had. Uh, and you know, I was looking through your, uh, your LinkedIn history and you've been at, you've been at Duke a long time. So you have this interesting background of having been there for uh, a while and seen what you've switched from. And, and I bring up the nuclear thing cause I thought it was a, uh, it's always a funny point when we'll get back to this, but when you're trying to like win over the trust of people to do things in a wacky new way and they're like, yeah, but I mean, it's not like managing rockets or nuclear power plants and you can sort of be like, yeah, you know, I used to do that. <laughs> so there's sort of like some credibility of, of safety that you have. But so, you know, from that perspective, like how, how did y'all start off doing software when you when you started back there and and you know it's not a, a question like this is not so much like um describe how terrible it was but kind of like what you're alluding to like this was actually the best way to do software back then like here's how we came about to doing things this way like what was it what was it like when you were uh i don't know the first first few jobs that you had there managing working around in it and managing software i mean i, I came into duke um to write software i was a we call them computer programmer right <laughs> but it, it wasn't as cool as software engineer back then uh that's what i came to do um but we quickly started buying software um i, I think there was this there's this idea of, of best practices and if we just share best practices across the industry and, and everybody buy the soft, same software, we'll, we'll be safe. And that, that sort of started a, a trend. And yeah, I'd have to say it really, the mobile movement, the mobile mind shift, uh, if you will, uh, great book sort of, sort of said, Hey, you, you can't actually buy a mobile app. So, so we had vendor software for, you know, work management systems. And even in cases where there was a, a mobile component that went with it, it didn't work. It, you couldn't actually attach it and run it, make it, make it work securely against your customized, uh, you know, business system. So it was useless. And most of the vendors just quit, quit trying. Hmm. Yeah, that's, so a, that's the idea a... was that you, that's a really that's a really interesting point yeah. that the was so so to, to summarize from, from what you got there after interrupting you like you basically start with uh, a lot of off the shelf software or cots or whatever you're right. buying the software from someone else and then customizing it as you do uh, to fit to fit what you need and then that's fine <laughs> in 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 sort of lazy air quotes no problem and then. Uh, I bet that's pretty universally true that like a lot of people who are in that mode and then sometime in, I'm guessing the late 2000s, if not around 2010 or 2011, uh, like mobile comes along and the vendors you've relied on for that just like can't catch up to mobile ways of doing things. And so you're stuck. <laughs> like, like you're almost, uh, in that case, it's a pretty concrete example of one of the fears people have when they talk about lock-in. Right. And it's not, a, you know, I always feel like one fear is 
being locked into rising maintenance prices on something. And so you just like have to, it's just rent seeking on the vendor's part. So you have that. But then the other type of lock-in is like this instance of we're going to, our software will not evolve at the pace that we want it to and we'll be stuck. Um, so when that mobile threat came in, like how did y'all, like what was, did you all get in a, a conference room and you're like, we got to figure this out. Like what was the chain of events that led to uh, figuring out how to respond to that? Yeah, we had um, at some point prior to that, we had had this idea that data was was pretty important. And uh, we needed to, as a company, focus on data, and we created a leadership team. We called it the analytics leadership team. And they would kind of go on to start to, and I was a part of that, to sort of define, and you know, here's big, big, this big data thing's coming at us. We probably ought to get some data scientists and start paying attention to this. And, and we were very intentional about that. And so uh, maybe a year later when we started seeing, hey, this could work, we did the same thing around mobile, mobile, mobile apps, and so we created this leadership team of business people. And again, I got to participate and be part of that. And, and it was it was sort of like you would expect a, a, an enterprise committee to do. You know, we picked device standards and things like that. But uh, not lost in there was this idea that we had to actually build software and. And that we needed to think about, just like bringing in data scientists, we needed to think about how to, how to do that in a new environment. And that the current environment that we're in, the big heavy requirements-based environment, is not how people were building mobile apps, not, not successfully mm-hmm. anyway. And so, so, so this whole, whole thing ended up being a lot of things into one. Let's write software, but let's, not, let's, let's do, do a couple of things right. Let's, Let's be agile from day one with mobile, and then let's put user experience at the forefront. So uh, I remember saying this over and over again. So, you know, it was easy to say Apple sets these expectations for consumers and our customers, and they expect it to be, you know, beautiful and wicked fast. But that's the exact same experience we need to give that worker in the bowels of the nuclear plant. They, they want it to be uh, beautiful and wicked fast as well. And that, I think that message kind of kind of resonated with people because none of the software, none of this COT software, it, it barely worked, much less be beautiful, and it surely wasn't fast. Yeah, no, that, that's. I mean, we should talk about that a little bit more because that that is, as you said, it, it was. It's kind of uh, easy just to like introduce the uh, the uh, the Apple sort of line of stuff, but like, was it was it difficult to convince people that good design was a good idea? Like, what was the reaction to that? Well, they didn't know at the time that we'd have to hire designers and, and you know, have uh, lots of conversations with design thinking and do all these things. So so they were just fine. Yeah, make it pretty. They were fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. So you sort of, uh, you snuck the designers in under the guise of, you know, they just got, they got a good color palette. <laughs> Everyone can agree the software right. should look good, but, uh, which that's interesting. That's a good sort of, and I'm kind of characterizing it as if you have to sneak things, but it's, I imagine a lot more passive than that. It's, it's sort of like, everyone can agree the software should look good. So we should get some designers and then you make the delightful discovery that the designers also focus on making the software usable <laughs> regardless of what colors it is yeah. or anything. It's interesting that you had the experience of going through some sort of like transformation already with, with the data team or data team. I forget which way you're supposed to say it. And so, I, I mean, do you feel like that provided you with sort of like an analogous experience of like we're gonna need to do another thing that's new and weird for us, or or did it not help out analogously at all? Oh, it helped tremendously, and it because you know analytics, data science was the same same scenario. You, there were a lot of vendors selling it. Oh, buy our software it has you know algorithms built in it, but we learned quickly that they didn't actually work. <laughs> you know, you actually had to come in. They had to bring. Uh, you know, consulting services on site and understand your actual problem you're trying to solve, and 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 so we made made the case that hey, if you really want to be good, if, if data is important to us, um, and we want to get insights and and do things like predictive analytics and all these all these great things that we we knew were possible, 
um, we needed to do that ourselves. So it, it's sort of the movement to moving back to, uh, you know, getting back to rolling up our sleeves, doing things ourselves. So it, it really, really was, it did, it did set the stage of building the software engineering team. And, and that data science team, if you know, if you know data scientists, they're a different, different breed. Uh, they weren't going to work and fit into uh, waterfall-type project environments either. So uh, they didn't actually know Agile. They just didn't do anything. Yeah. And so I've heard it said that doing, doing nothing is better than waterfall, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, as, as I'm always fond of regaling, like I think uh, there's a slight variation of it, but like I always feel like uh, a, lot of, well, a lot of the initial improvement you get from doing Agile is because you were like not really doing anything before that. <laughs> and, and it's easy in a waterfall process to not do quote unquote anything. And, you know, you're, you're act in that instance, it's sort of like, uh, you're trying to improve instead of not trying to improve, which I don't know, could be unfair to someone, but you know, yeah. And, and then also like, you know, uh, thinking about what you're saying, it's, 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 it's always, uh, it's always a dangerous game to like, like bring a knife to a, a, a data scientist fight, <laughs> so to speak, where like, we're like, you might, you might try to argue with some data scientist person about something and they'll probably like bury you in a bunch of data analysis. <laughs> so they're, they're always tricky people to debate with just like, just like anyone who knows how to use a spreadsheet or, uh, or gather data. But yeah. And, and so that's an interesting, like, I mean, that's almost like a good, a good, like uh bone to throw out to people is like, if you're having difficulty changing the way your organization does something, try to find some other group that had gone through a large change and kind of like analogize back to that to make it seem like it's uh it's not so crazy, especially if it's in the same area as like, as like it or something like that. And, and I guess it's also uh, required that they were successful. You don't want to analogize to an unsuccessful yeah. <laughs> attempt. <laughs> um, so, okay. and, and then another thing, I mean, I mean, another thing that makes me, me curious about is, like, like how would you, so, so when you're going through this shift, right? So basically the shift to go back a little bit is we're going from off the shelf software to more customized software, like in-house doing, whether it's our data stuff or our software and like, what kind of effects does that have like on things like finance and planning? Like, do they have, do they have to go like, go update their models for how they do things? And like, I imagine like, doing all that work on your own kind of screws with the way that people are used to administering that process. Yeah, it, it was, but we didn't. So uh, we, we thought about like working on that problem and saying, you know, I, I remember we had this, this idea that, Hey, let's just set aside, you know, a million dollars and we'll use it for uh, mobile applications, like a pool of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really couldn't get anybody to agree to that or even want to have that discussion. I guess because there was so much work that had gone into prioritization and there was already a, a big battle over, you know, where where you're drawing the line in your list of things you'd like to do. And they're all good stuff, right? And somebody's, somebody's below the line. And here I am asking for a million dollars. It's just going to move somebody, two or three more people below the line, something they're not going to get done. It's just a very frustrating process. I, I, I'm sure it's not just at Duke Energy anywhere, and I've I've seen it done so many different ways. But it's it's always a, a frustrating process to have to prioritize all good ideas, right? Uh, but there's only a certain amount of funding, so so we didn't take that approach. We just basically said, okay, we're gonna give me budget for two people. <laughs> I'm gonna hire a software engineer. Um, two software engineers, whatever, and we're just going to just start start building some things. And right. rather than make a big fuss, we just launched the Idea Lab. By the time we got it launched, uh, we had we had about four people, um, and we just got started. And we created some really simple things. Uh, so it was sort of like our CIO saying, "Hey, John." you build something here of some value don't worry about not having the budget we can just talk about it and say hey we created these four people created this much value last year then we're good to go so we didn't we didn't try to revamp the 
demand management or the project management or any of that stuff. Uh, at the same time, the company's starting to adopt Agile, uh, or at least talk about it. So we just started Agile. So we didn't have any, we didn't have to fit, we didn't have to fix anything. We just started it really as an experiment. And uh, it went from there. So we, we just, we started inviting people to the idea lab. I'm doing the air quote thing, right? There really wasn't a place. Uh, that was the catch when you got there. Uh, it was, there's nothing to see. <laughs> there's just some people around the table. And, you know, we intentionally said, hey, this is not a, not a place. It's not a box on the org chart. It's really a state of mind. It's that Silicon Valley state of mind. You know, we're, we're running this thing like a startup. Um, and we're just going to do things differently and do things a certain way. And, um, just picked up momentum from there. And and so like the the you know it seems like a key thing that you uh you started with there is like I don't know, enlightens too strong a word but a uh, a CIO who is game. <laughs> and and who who yeah. essentially was like uh how about you just sort of like do a skunkworks thing and if that works out then we'll have the big meeting about doing more stuff. But it's almost like I mean, I I almost think like this is pretty a, a pretty universal uh, like principle of digital transformation is like you need a reasonably high level executive for the first six to twelve months who's just like yeah you should just go do that like don't worry about like we'll sort of draw the outline of of the money like you know you're saying it's like two to four FTEs or whatever but like the, we don't need to do a lot let's just just go figure it out. We're not going to get you all wrapped up into annual planning, planning, which I think, you know, that presents its own problem of how do you get that person to think that way? But that's a little above the pay grade, as it were. <laughs> but it, it, is a good, it is a good thing to encourage those leaders to do is like, hey, CIO type leaders, you're responsible for kicking this thing off. Like you can't like a, like almost an Annie pattern that I've seen over the past two decades or so of leadership in IT is, is this assumption that you can just tell the people to transform and then leave. <laughs> like, like they need a lot yeah. of help and a lot of permission and a lot of things to trans, to do whatever change uh, that, that they have, that they need to. Absolutely. Like, so you had, you, you got like the, the commandment from the, or, or not the commandment, you've got the permission making <laughs> from, from, from up on high that pulls out, draws out the area. So then how do you, how do you like plan out what you do after that? Right? Like you got your, uh, you got your two to four people just in a conference room that you've, you printed out some sign that's like, you know, reserved forever. You can't book this room and then, or whatever it is. And, and then they start working in there as their little labs. Like, what do you, uh, what do you do next? What do you do on Monday when, when you're kicking off? Yeah. So we, well, we, we built a couple of apps. Uh, kind of quietly, um, really not, not, not big deal kind of apps. Not, they're not making money. They're not changing the world. Um, one was something we called I Can Help, and it was for employees who maybe they're out on the weekend in the cul-de-sac, and, you know, the neighbor comes over and says, hey, I, you know, got this problem. I called Duke Energy, and, you know, I don't know what's going on. It would give the employee the ability to kind of help them kind of be empowered, kind of have information if they want to talk about, you know, um, solar or, or things like that, anything they want to talk about. If they want to just complain, they could do that. But it would give the employee ability on their phone, get some information and try to help the customer. So that was, that was pretty cool. The very first thing we did intentionally was something to try to help the customer. Uh, but, it, you know, obviously something like that didn't require a lot of back-end services or anything. So very intentional why we chose that. And the next thing we did was an e-reader. We did an e-reader app, you know, because we didn't want to use Kindle to put our nuclear safety manual out there in the public. <laughs> right. Uh, so we had books. And, and, you know, so it's just we had to build an e-reader. We used some open source um, uh, SDKs, but... Anyway, we, we built a pretty, pretty beautiful e-reader for um, the safety manuals that were previously being printed. You know, imagine like 300-page books getting printed and trying to distribute, and then how do you update a book? Mm. You know? It's sort of like when you see pilots nowadays. Instead of a big flight bag, they'll have like an iPad or something that has all, all that stuff on it. Yeah. Yeah, so we did that. 
so that got us uh, got us a lot of attention. And then and somebody had the idea that oh, we got this great capability. We need to promote this. And and we thought that was a pretty good idea uh, at the time. <laughs> and so we started having these idea lab tours. And I think we brought through like a hundred of the top leaders of the company and say, hey, look, we built this new we got this new mindset, the Silicon Valley mindset where we're building mobile apps and, oh, we're also building web apps and we can do augmented reality and all these different things, you know, because we had an engineering team of about 20 by that time. And then at the end of the tour, we'd say, oh, and what's your problem? What would you like us to do for you? <laughs> uh, so suddenly we started having all, this, um, all these opportunities coming our way. Uh, mm. You you sort of you sort of created a, a virtuous honeypot for we did. a virtuous honeypot for uh, creating trouble for yourself. <laughs> the opposite of a honeypot, almost. Yeah. Exactly. So, so there was a couple of problems we created for ourselves. We we tried to be everything to everybody, and and we grew really fast. And maybe that's okay. Uh, we also assumed everybody loved us <laughs> because we're doing this stuff and. You know, we realized we were probably infringing in some some other spaces, right? We had the entire company come into the, the point of the Idea Lab was never to be the delivery, modern delivery wing of the of IT. You know, uh, so that was not our mission. Our mission was really to say, hey, there's a new way of working. Let's see what works. Let's tweak it. Let's adjust it. Uh, and then we sort of got into this uh, digital for hire mode really quickly. Going back to those two apps. Well, what, well, one, you're making me think like, uh, I bet that's a common question uh, that Duke employees get no matter what they do is like, hey, can you come over and rewire this thing for me? I mean, you know, as one thing, but it's sort of like, uh, it's analogous to when I worked at Dell, you would tell people you worked at Dell and, you know, Dell's like, a, I don't know what they were at the time, 80,000, 100,000 or, or so people. And like, everyone knows someone at Dell. So they're like, oh, do you know Jane Smitherson? Or like, you know, Beauregard Johnson, and you'd have to be like, I just 80,000 people there. I have no idea. But that would, that would have been a great app to have, the uh, Dell Do You Know app. And you could just enter their name and be like, here they are. Yeah. <laughs> but the, and, and then uh, also with, you know, the, with the e-reader one. So what like, as you all, y'all were doing that, like describe like the, I mean, were you doing like a full on like scrum type of process or more XP or like what? Like what kind of release cycles did you have and what would you do within those cycles and how'd you gather the requirements and things like that? Like what was the process that you were following? It was, um, it was sort of like scrum. <laughs> I think that's the, I think that's the only, that's the only kind of scrum, sort of like scrum. <laughs> I'm not sure there's ever an orthodox that's one. That's right. Yeah. We didn't have enough people really to, to have dedicated product teams in those very early days, but so that, you know, in the first six to nine months, but after that, we, so one of our when we launched the idea lab, we had this dream. Uh, so sadly, Duke Energy doesn't have a mobile app for customers. So we have a mobile enabled website, but we do not have a mobile app. We never have. There's some reasons there. One is uh, um, our our you know thinking on buy versus build, <laughs> but the other was that some of the other, other utilities who had uh, tiptoed into that space of building mobile apps for customers didn't turn out real well. Uh, spent a lot of money, you know, very low adoption. The one that the ones that did download it gave it like one star, you know. And so we intentionally didn't want to didn't want to do that. So we we sort of put it off for, for several years. Well, part of the thing this idea lab, you know, we knew it was sort of unspoken amongst ourselves is we wanted the right to build a, a mobile app for our customers. We knew we had to earn that though. It wasn't enough that we could build some e-readers and little simple apps. We had to build, you know, really a world-class app that talked to, and, and so we're a company that's merged several times over a few years. So we have like seven different customer information systems. So how do you build an app? that talks to all those systems built in a modern way has, and I always say it has to be beautiful, wicked fast, read our customers' minds. You know, we have to be able to change it every day if we need to. Um, and it has to be super secure, more secure than anything we ever built. So a big, we call that amazing. 
Uh, and and how would you do that? Well, we we felt like we were intentional about agile and design thinking uh, that we could do it. And so that's that's when we got serious about you know how we how we really work and, and following really more 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 true to dedicated product teams. We we're doing some XP type things like pairing. Um, and that, that really started the movement of um, you know, being very intentional about how we build software. And, and, and this, uh, uh, this amazing app, or, you know, but the, the integrating together six different customer information things, like uh, there's, all, there, there's obviously, as you were saying, sort of like the large impact it could have if it works out, which sort of, um, uh, you know, I, I always shy away from this mentality because it sounds like a bunch of braggadocio, but it's sort of the go big or go home kind of thing where like you reach a stage and you've got to like prove that you can sit at the adult table <laughs> and, and, and do have a big impact. So there, there's like that criteria, but like from a somewhat technical point of view, like what was the, like, how did you evaluate it as far as like, this is possible or like, like how, how did you think through like, this problem isn't too wicked for us to solve, but it's something that's actually viable that, that we should work on. And then, I mean, part of that is also like, how did you deprioritize stuff to work on that was too hard in favor of actually doing something? I mean, it just seems like an impossible problem to solve <laughs> unless you break it down or somehow figure out how to tackle it. Well, that, that was the exact approach. I mean, we broke it down into pieces. We started looking at what backend services were available. Um, uh, and we, we, adopted this concept of a mobile facade, right? This thin layer of services sitting on top of older services with the intention of we can we can not only use these underlying services, but we can protect them um, mm. from the mobile app. And and, and then that, that, and then, oh, by the way, all these services are being modernized and consolidated. Uh, and so we couldn't wait till those things are finished. Um, but this facade would create essentially, a, you know, an API layer that would allow us to go ahead and start building that mobile app, uh, designing it, planning out how, how it's going to look, how it's going to work, without too much concern with what's what's underlying. So that that was that's the general approach we took. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that was what I was theorizing in my head is if you have if you're trying to integrate six different services, then worst case scenario you can kind of do just like a read only view, and so you it's easy. It's, it's a lot easier than it initially thinks just to like pull the data and then like, as they used to say, mash it up together, <laughs> which, which even just doing that, like that sounds underwhelming, but if previously you had six different systems that have all their own cantankerous nature and everything, having a unified view for the people who actually had to put up with those six different things is often huge as far as like making their lives better but it, it, it does seem like that seems like another good like there's 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 two good criteria or i guess there's three that that it sounds like y'all are using one is like we need to have a mobile app which is is a very important thing and two like this should be like uh to use some fancy words like this should be material like it shouldn't just be you know do you know this person at dell app <laughs> yeah, right and then three I mean, I don't know how to characterize the third thing, but it's not just that it's technically feasible, but the it's kind of like an old, uh, what do they call that, the iron triangle. You can have quality, schedule, or cost, and you can have two of those, but never all three. But it's kind of like a version of that. It's like you can either read the data, write the data, or actually finish the project, and you can choose two of those. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to pick something that isn't too complex, I guess, when it comes to a big hairy legacy ball to to try to shave or something like that. I don't know. I kind of rambled myself yeah, into a characteristic cul-de-sac there. No, I think you're you're exactly right. In hindsight, it wasn't the best one to pick to be our flagship. It still is our flagship app. It's our best product team, but it's not released yet because we're still working, you know, you, you can't do a phased release of an app for customers, right? It's either mm -hmm. in the store or it's not. So that's one of the challenges until you get your back end consolidated and you're all your online services accounts and all those put together, you really can't release. So uh, we still hope to, hope to do that um, first half of this year. Probably a better example though came a little bit later when we, we you mentioned the linemen earlier. We, we sort of took, took 
all the pieces started coming together with um, design thinking and user experience and agile agile engineering when we were asked to um, really help help the guys in the bucket trucks. Right? There's probably about 10,000 or more linemen that are out there every day uh, responding to problems. Of course, they're the ones that respond when there's a storm or, or, or an outage. Uh, but they're just they're doing a lot of routine work. They're doing a lot of emergent work. They're starting new services for you know new homes and new businesses. But uh, the efficiency that they weren't optimal. They, they they understood that you know they might be passing each other on the road, you know, going across town to different job sites, and it wasn't wasn't their lack of you know wasn't their fault. The systems basically the way the systems were operated um, really wasn't, weren't optimal. And so they they sat down with us, and they they really came to the table saying, "Hey, we're really we're really ready to rethink our business, not just the technology, but um, we'll repave the parking lots and route the trucks in a different direction. But we're going to look at everything, true transformation." And we were fortunate enough to be invited to be part of that. And um, for for the for the technology piece, we did like three weeks of three weeks of sprints, and at first. At first, the, the senior VP of this area of distribution, he, he, his, his problem statement was, I just need to see where these trucks are. and Because he didn't know where his teams were. You know, he could go to the work management system and see what the schedule was, but he really didn't know what was going on once the real world hits and uh, issues come up and customers call and have needs. He just wanted to be able to see, see his trucks on a map. So he said, sure, but let's, let's talk about this. And we talked to it for three weeks with them and did some design thinking, did a lot of design sprint type exercises. And what we realized is, uh, yeah, he needed that, but it was the lineman that needed something. The lineman needed, and just make the long story short, they needed, they needed an experience very much like an Uber driver. You know, they're out in their truck. Wouldn't it be great if they could see the work that most most matches their you know their training, what kind of equipment they have on the truck, and their location, and they can select that that work, get turn by turn directions to the work, do the job. If they're out there, they can see where their their fellow lineman or line woman, I guess that's the right term, is. If they need a piece of equipment, they don't have to go all the way back to an operations center. They could message the truck that's nearby. Those kinds of things, not. Completely rocket science, like you said earlier, just some basic stuff, you know, that we see in other other walks of life and consumer apps, and in, in this case, like Uber. And so we we spent a month and we built that MVP, and so we were able to deploy that, uh, and we interviewed like 30 linemen. We you know had them look at the prototypes and touch the designs, and we asked them, you know, would, would this work? Would you use this? And we took all that feedback, and then um, so I think it's being piloted with about 100 linemen today, uh, with the goal of uh, beginning to roll this out even broader. But again, it was an MVP, so it was really true, more true to how we really want to be build software, get value out quickly, and then continue to iterate on it over time. So it's it's a it's a pretty big success story. That's that's a good story that has a lot of the uh, the fun elements of of like success of a more agile approach, right? And kind of, it, it's funny, you were making me think as you were joking, like, you know, uh, the, the what we ended up doing wasn't like a complicated problem. We just had to tell them like where the work was and how to get there and like make, give them, give the line, the line people like what the information they needed about what was going on, give them situational awareness and let them kind of like select work to go to, or at least be involved in that process. And it seems like, um, I don't know, this isn't always the case, but much of the time, like really good, like design thinking just like discovers some common sense you weren't thinking about already. <laughs> like, and, and it's, it's also, it's, it, it makes for some kind of like deflating stories because, <laughs> because the end result you get to is like, you know, it's like the old thing of like, oh, my kindergarten could have painted that. Like, but it, uh, it takes a long time to figure out how to splatter paint on a canvas, like in a way that's artful. And and so like you went over this a little bit, but I'm always interested in the, you know, for as much like as much uh, stories and guidance I read about getting users involved. You kind of mentioned this, but like how like at the beginning you had the VP involved and I guess you brought in a few linemen to talk with them. So you're actually talking with the end users so to, and the stakeholders. 
but then ongoing, like how, what was the interaction that you had with the actual line people who are using this? How did they fit into the, uh, the feedback cycle that you had? Yeah. So we made a decision early that, and I was a little nervous about this because, you know, this idea lab and this, this, it's all about the culture and keeping the teams close and communicate and collaborating and the CP and, and the product owner, which was uh, like a, a high level leader under him. Um, she wanted the team out there at the operation center where the, where the linemen are, uh, where they, you know, start, where they park their trucks and start their day and get their equipment and go out and come back. Cause she wanted the team there as much as possible. And so, I was, I was a little nervous about that because, you know, hiring these hipster engineers, right? And I'm going to send them to an operation uh, facility that's, you know, not the most modern of places. I'm imagining if they're like the hipsters I know, they probably buy their work. Both both people probably both wear work clothes and really thick boots. So maybe they have, maybe they both are, right. are big consumers of Carhartt and Dickies. They got that shared between them. Maybe that's what it made it work, but, <laughs> but they actually went they went out there and they loved it. And um, part of the the process, the transformation, was to actually upgrade the facility. So they actually got to be there and see see them, just like in our spaces. You know, where we're moving to these all open spaces. But they, even the operations center, you know, it was just a bunch of corridors and old offices. They took all that out and had a big open space, big screens everywhere. And so uh, it was just fun for that team to be part of that. And it just got them connected to to the linemen there and to, you know, and it's not the engineers working with the linemen on a daily basis, but there's, there's the people that work at the operations center that are, that are working with linemen and, and on a daily basis, really strong relationships there. And that, that was really the key. Um, truly it's, you can't, you can go in there and you don't know who, who the IT person is or who the designer is or who's the, you, you know, who the lineman is because they're, you know, they look like linemen <laughs> and they're <laughs> <Right>. big. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's this truly working as one, um, working as one company and not this, you know, business IT type type of relationship. Totally, totally different. Yeah. So so you got the uh, people, I, I used to jokingly call this uh, biz DevOps, where you have the actual business side or, or the, the the linemen in this case mixed in with the developers and the operators as well, which, which, uh, you know, that's another instance of that common sense thing, right? Where it's like, if, if you're creating a product for a specific person to use, you should probably talk to that specific person <laughs> and, and get a bunch of feedback from them about if it's working or not, which, which hasn't always been the common sense we've, uh, we've operated under in the IT world. Well, the, the, the thing that even the v, the senior VP even said to us, it was his words. He like, he had this insight very early on once he saw that MVP of the, the lineman app. He's like, you know, we got these, these big backend systems that we depend on. You know, he was talking about our work management system. Um, but those, those people, he said, those people don't know how to deliver a, a, an experience. To, to an end user. And this team, he's talking about the idea lab does. And he, he kind of got it that, you know, you could wire those two together and, and get something better, uh, better than we've ever had in the past. And, and that was, it was just cool to see that insight is that, hey, this isn't, we're not ripping out, you know, these mega million dollar systems that we've just spent, you know, years putting in place and years upgrading and years managing and owning we're not ripping those out we're just putting this layer on top of it and um, i think that's the, the powerful message of that and, and and actually you know going through the process of learning the business before we build software understanding what they truly need um that that was the key yeah now that that seems that seems like and and the what am i trying to say the a good tactical a big tactical effect of that is uh you know, IT is a, uh, I don't like this phrase, but it's sort of like uh, a service part of the company. It, it helps the rest, it enables the rest of the company, the business, if you will. And so like, if the business wants something, and if the business likes IT, it's sort of like, it's a, how do you say it? A fait accompli? It's like, well, there you go. That's, 
all the justification we need. <laughs> like it's a, it's a good motivating force to uh, have, have them draw you into stuff. So like, like if we come back to present day and you've alluded to this a little bit, like, uh, so you, you set up a, a larger idea lab, like, like what, what, is, what is the lab you have now as far as like number of projects and people, I don't know, some way of, of scoping it. Like how, how is it now? And like, what's, what's your thinking about what it's going to be doing over the next year or so? Like how, how does it scale up, if you will, or does it not? Or like, how, how are y'all going to manage spreading that, that initial layer, uh, thickening that initial layer, I guess. That's a weird metaphor, but helping out more <laughs> than, than just a, a few apps that you've been doing. That's a, that's a great question. And so we're, we're, uh, I think about 150, uh, engineers in the idea lab, other engineers, designers, uh, we call them technical product owners. If they're, sort of uh, proxy product owners. Uh, and it, it's probably about 15 product teams. So what, what, that's where we are today. And, you know, we're, we're like, it, we're still, we're back in taking over conference rooms because we actually ran out of space. Uh, but there's, there's good news ahead. We're, we're opening up an innovation center um, in probably August, September timeframe, very large facility. Um, easily accommodate us with some plenty of room for growth. But the but but to your question around what you know what's next and how do you how do you continue to spread this? Um, and I intentionally use the word spread versus scale, you know, because companies like ours uh, are really good at scale because we we take something that looks pretty good and then we, we just want to stamp it out, you know, many 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 times and and that's what scale feels like, but that doesn't really work here. Um, it just doesn't, it's not that simple, right? It's, uh, so how do we spread the ideas of design thinking, you know, the lean startup type ideas on selecting what it is we're going to work on and how do we, how do we run experiments and do validated learning? And then, and then the agile engineering, it, you know, it turns out part of the agile engineering piece becomes the easiest part in the whole thing. And, and design thinking actually is not, not a hard sell either. Nobody has been through one of our design sprints like, they all come away like, wow, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, we, you know, we learned something in a week that would have took us six months of analysis to figure out. So that's an easy sale. So it really being, it, it just gets back to the whole, you come full circle now. Now we're going to have to deal with finance, supply chain, legal, regulatory compliance, IT. Yeah, IT is still a thing, right? Just because you've got this idea lab over here, you still have, a lot of um, compliance and structures and things like that that no different than those other things I mentioned. Uh, create a what, well. So so what I what, what the I think the desired state is flow. I'm calling it flow. Getting from ideas through through the experiments and the learning and building to getting all the way to the outcomes. So how do you get from ideas to outcomes as efficiently as possible? If you could just do that smoothly, that would be flow. But we don't have flow because we have all these handoffs um, from these siloed institutions. And so how, how do we kind of take those and flip them on in, just like we did out at that operations center uh, for our distribution team, and, and really work together? You know, up front, we have, we have legal and security and, and all these things involved in the, in the outcomes uh, versus just these hmm. checkpoints that, that tend to just slow us off. So that's the challenge, how to solve that. You know, we, there's books you can read, but <laughs> you can't just go read a book. And, but, okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, what, what are the most important pieces? As, so, so when I look, I've got, like, what have we got, like four or five months before this innovation center is open. And so what are the things that we can do? What are the most important things I can do that, that will create flow when we get there? And you know, it's probably around the funding and the prioritization. I mean, that's the thing that always hangs us up. And so we're going to take a hard look at that and um, say, what is what does transformation look like there? Uh, and, and not just trying to you know, improve it a little bit. Let's totally take it apart, flip it upside down, and 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 try, run an experiment. And let's say, okay, let's, let's look at funding and, and prioritization differently than we are today. So that, that's one thing, and there's, there's probably other things. Um, it's not not quite as hard as that, but uh, like getting security involved up front, I think that 
that's doable. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're doing that. we're doing some of that today, you know, and you you know designing the software secure that actually goes a long way to getting through the pen testing and the security scanning and all that stuff that, that trips everybody up at the end. So I think those are those are some things that we can we can work on. We're a regulated utility. Regular regulatory requirements, and so we're not allowed just to do whatever we want to do. Like, you know, Home Depot, we talked about, they can create all kinds of interesting products and services, and just hey, here, try this out, customers. Do you like this? We have a lot of rules, but that doesn't stop us. That shouldn't stop us. That that it can't hamper innovation. You know, we, if everybody. So we just can't hide behind the regular, regulatory requirements. Put it that way. We have to understand. We have to have conversations, and we have to try to find find paths forward. So um, those are some of our challenges that, we're, that we look to break down. Good news is I have opportunity. We have the opportunity to do this. Uh, we're being asked. How do we How do we do this? How do we transform? And so that's that's the you know that's an awesome scenario to have. It's hard work, but you know. We're going to give it a try. Yeah, I, I like the way you frame the, uh, I don't know what to call them, but uh, dealing with the other departments, <laughs> or dealing is even a, a, a judgmental word, but uh, getting the rest of the departments involved, right? Because I think I think the scenario uh, most of us in this space focus on is like getting the IT department and the business to work closer together. And as we just kind of talked about most of the whole time, like, like once you get those two groups talking together, there's wonderful results. And then you realize that there's all these other departments and you have to figure out how to get them involved, right? Like legal and finance and in, in y'all's case and others, like kind of like whoever your auditor, and maybe that's legal too, but whoever your kind of auditor function are and, and probably HR has to get involved and all these other people. And um, yeah, there's not really a lot of well-documented answers to that. <laughs> In, in the agile world, but it is like, like, you know, again, it's another application of common sense of like, well, the way we got business, the IT and business together is we all focused on the same outcome. We were all like part of this team and we did our part like for this product or this service or this outcome rather than, as you were kind of saying, having a checkpoint. And so maybe that's a good place to start with legal and be like, Hey lawyer, I know you're in the legal department, but you're really on this team working on this product. So you should work on that. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's multidirectional, right? Just like you're saying with security, like, you know, it, it's for one thing, you have to have the security people open to doing things in this way and adapting to it. But then it would also be nice if the developers actually wrote secure software in the first place. <laughs> and that same pattern could apply to like the lawyers, right? Like, if if the uh, if the developers or your product people knew what legal was expecting, they could just build it in from the beginning. But they need legal to come talk to them from the beginning to talk about that kind of thing. But I don't know. It'd be interesting to see uh, how y'all figure that out. You have to take some notes and say so you can uh, you can you can come back and tell me how it went. Well, but before before well, I do wrap it up, like, is there uh, you think there's anything that that we left out that you would want to mention to people? No, I, I you know I'm, I'm interested in connecting with you know with with other people that are that are on this journey. You know, who, who would have thought? Right? Is, could it be digital transformations? Not even about digital. <laughs> uh, that's, that's right. <laughs> it's about all this other stuff, and so um, I think you know may, maybe that's what we'll talk about. 2018. Yeah, yeah. No, that reminds me of, uh, I came across an article, uh, like, I guess three weeks ago now that was like, uh, we should stop talking about how millennials are changing the workforce. Because there's a lot of them who are in their mid thirties now. And like, they are the workforce. <laughs> like, like they've, they, they've adapted, and the workforce has adapted. And like, maybe we had these kooky notions about digital natives, and some of them got in there. But like, now they're just the working schmoes like the rest of us. <laughs> so there's not like, it's kind of like, you know, digital transformation sounds all fancy, but at the end of the day, it's sort of like you're going towards the same outcomes, as you say, and things like that. There's not like uh, a whole lot of earth shattering differences in what you're trying to do. It. It's just like you're doing it better and incrementally improving it. So it's, uh, it's, it's the, in a good way, the same old stuff. 
as, as it were, just just served up better. Well, uh, so do you have? I mean, if people wanted to fo- to that point, if people wanted to follow up with you or uh, get a hold of you or in a very non creepy way follow you around the internet, like what would you point them at? Oh, I should have been prepared for that question. I'm on LinkedIn. Oh yes. Well, that's a fine. Everyone's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's actually a lot that goes on in there. I should probably. I need to. I need to go through and do like a house cleaning thing. I think at some point I added like everyone in my address book to it, so I've got it's just useless to me. But I, I should. I wish those kind of systems had a remove everyone button that you could use, and then you could incrementally go add people back. All right. Well, I'll put. I'll put a link to that. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. As always, this has been Software Defined Interviews. If I, uh, I, I don't know yet what number episode this will be, but if you just go to softwaredefinedinterviews.com, you can find the show notes and have a reason to go to LinkedIn and uh, find a few more things like that, that that are relevant. And, you know, we've got a Slack channel you can join listeners to uh, chat about this and all the other stuff like our other podcast, Software Defined Talk. And we have T-shirts and stickers you can buy, little newsletter that I'm remembering I'm supposed to write today on a Friday, and I probably won't, that you can subscribe to. And uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.